Start. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to start us off. I will introduce Sam yeah. and then we'll get talking. Yeah. Okay, welcome to the second video episode of the Homemade Camera Podcast on YouTube. Um, we have a super special guest today, Sam Trachsel. I think I'm saying that right. Um, thank you. Um, Sam sent me an email out of nowhere. He is not internet famous, although he should be, um, about building a giant camera uh, or a camera that he built already that's giant and shoots direct positives, and I was really interested in it and wanted to talk to him about it. We thought we'd make an episode about it. Um, Sam works at Arzamago in Zurich, and uh, yeah, we're going to start the show. Sam, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being on. Hey, Sam, can we start out? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, what you do, and um, how you got into photography. Well, I work at uh, Arsimago, and we are really the last um, film photography store in Switzerland because every other store went digital and then went bankrupt, so there are no stores at all. And we are really the last place to where you can ask questions about paper or chemicals or film or whatever. And I got into photography like 10 years ago or so, um, because I was working, um, I, I started economics and was working in an office job and it was just really boring. And I started to take pictures and even more, I started to develop my pictures, started to print my pictures. And then I get got into Arsimago and discovered this world of analog photography that is so much more crazy than just uh, 35 millimeter photography. And that's about the time where I started to... Uh, check out Camera Dactyl and Joe Van Cleef and starting to shoot direct positive paper. And yeah, from there it went bigger and crazier and everything else. Until, yeah, I built a giant camera. <laughs> but I really, I got into photography just by chance, just by doing it, but I'm not trained in photography. Yeah. So um, it sounds like you got into it pretty recently. I also have a degree in economics. Uh, which <laughs> has a little bit to do with photography. Um, what what year did you, you sort of uh, pick up photography as a hobby? I think roughly like 15 years ago or so. Not that recent. <laughs> yeah, not that recent. But um, until recently, I just shot um, 35 millimeter and medium format, just the usual analog photography stuff. But uh, it's about five years ago, I started to doing large format and pinhole photography and yeah, discover everything beyond just regular negative film photography. So yeah, in building cameras, I'm, yeah, I'm not that experienced yet. Well, Sam, looks, looks like a great start to me. <laughs> I'll say. Um, Sam, uh, looking at that camera, it looks, um, you know, deceptively simple, but I, I kind of know what goes into it and I don't think it is. Um, I assume that you probably have been a lifelong or at least longtime builder of other things. Am I right? Yeah, I, I built a lot of stuff before, but mainly like uh, household stuff, a table, a chair, um, a, a, some, a lot of stuff for my, for my wife, for her kindergarten. So I, I, I've built a lot of stuff out of wood before. So I know how to, to use a drill and a saw and yeah, that's 
what well, it came in handy when I, I built this camera, definitely. It seems like that camera has some uh, woodworking tools as a tripod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is just there are some some regular wooden stands where you would put on the wood you're going to to uh, work on. Yeah, we and, would call those saw horses, but yeah, that's uh, yeah, exactly. it makes it makes it into an uh, an octopod. There are eight legs, so exactly. Um, exactly. if it's if it's big enough, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I found it's the only way to get it stable because the the exposure times are within minutes, and it has to really be stable. It is hard to level it because I made some some little wood uh, blocks that I can underlay. That is a little bit hard, but yeah. It works. It works. We're getting ahead of ourselves here talking about this camera already. But uh, I, I, I want to ask a little bit more about like the other things that you've built. It sounds like you are a pretty experienced woodworker. Um, given where you are in the world, uh, and Graham's going to hate me for this question maybe, but um, what do you know about clocks? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, can we ask him about chocolate as well, or, or well, I mean, what else? You okay, know. but chocolate is not necessarily related to cameras. Whereas no, but uh, except boxes. it's related to to photographers. I mean, have you ever listened to uh, to uh, the FPP? They're on about chocolate all the time. So okay, I think that's okay, just legitimate. <laughs> all right, ask your chocolate question, Graham. No, no, that's good. That, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we we I think we're done with our stereotype Swiss questions. Well, uh, okay, but it's, right? not a, you know? it's not a stereotype <laughs> question. It's like <laughs> clocks and cameras share the same sure. heritage. Uh, a lot, I'll, I'll, right? I'll I'll accept that. Yeah. Right, and, and it, it like okay, there's there's uh, springs and levers and gears and cams in a clock, but even at its most simplest, like um, you know, since the Middle Ages, people have been building wooden clocks that are incredibly right. precise. Cabinetry. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and all four of us have been building cuckoo cameras for quite a while. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking that Ethan was off the screen at that point, so I'll just do it. He did this. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so and uh once again you know we're we're doing this as a podcast we're also doing this as a youtube so if you want to go over to youtube if you're listening as a podcast if you want to go over to youtube and watch this it's the homemade camera youtube channel and what uh ethan did was a, a essentially uh a, a resigned facepalm but uh yeah exactly so let's get back on track um mm -hmm. so uh so you've been uh, you, so you built this um, camera that we're we're going to be talking about, the big tuna. Um, have you? Uh, and you talked about building some other things. Have you built other cameras on the way up to this one? Yep. Have you? You know, and and, and yep. Let, yep. let's let, let's talk about some of that. Well, I I've, the easiest build for a camera is a pinhole camera. So I started building a lot of pinhole cameras from very small to reasonably big to even bigger. And, but they were always pinhole cameras because it's so easy to, it's, everything is very, very easy. And actually when I saw the video of uh, Ethan and Joe where they did um, positive reversal color prints, that was like a starting point to really build a proper camera because with pinhole cameras, there is no need to 
you had to go very precise with paper and paper development because everything is as its dreamy kind of nature. But then we thought, okay, when you can do color pictures, you need a better camera. So all the experience from just building a light tight box and building um, some sort of, of uh, placement for the paper, I knew all that before I, I, I built this camera. So that helped a lot. Because getting a box light tight is it sounds easy, but the bigger the box is, the, yeah, the yeah. more complicated yeah. it gets. <laughs> Sam, do you happen to have any uh, photos on your computer of those uh, first bunch of pinhole cameras, or do you have uh, any that you can show us in your house? Uh, maybe I have some. Yeah, just just of the really small cameras I did. Like, yeah, let's like take a look. Film yeah. camera. I'll, where can I show this actually? Um, um, so this was like one of the. I built a lot. I built a lot of them. It's just as the size of a film canister. Wow, you is that an old aluminum film can, or in Zurich exactly, can you still yeah. get aluminum film cans? Well, we actually we produce. We still produce them, but um, this one looks to be an old one. Yeah, I guess it's an old one. So uh, let's describe this camera. It is uh, a, an aluminum. Um, old style screw top uh, film canister that a single roll of 35 millimeter film comes in. It exactly. has a hole on one side. So I assume it's got a curved plane. Is that correct? Exactly. The, the picture okay. is, is curved all the way up to the, to the hole. So it's, it's nearly 360 degrees. So it's a lot. Is this, so are you putting film in this or are you putting paper in this? I, I both. It works with both. Okay. With okay. I put direct positive paper in because then you have like these little postcards that have a really weird bend. And okay. I, built, I built a bunch of them because you always can you can just can take one picture and then yeah, you have to develop the picture. So I, I built a bunch of them just to carry them around and to take multi multiple oh. pictures. Sure. So um is there a website here that we can send people to so that they can see it as well? Um, it is our blog. I have a, okay. I have a link, but it's, I can maybe share it a little bit. I've got okay, the so link to the Arzamago blog. We can put okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's on so, the Arzamago blog for anybody who wants to follow along. Um, okay, so uh, okay, so this is, it, it's handy, it's pocketable. You can pocket a bunch of these, well, you know, without them rattling around in your pants and your oh, wife saying, these. hey, <laughs> Quit with the rattling on the pants. This uh, is a, this. Can you like tell? I hear that. Hold on yeah. a sec. This looks like a it, really a really nice camera, and I wanted it to does. mention for anyone who's not uh, forced to look at faces on YouTube that it looks like there's a uh, gaffer tape cummerbund that functions as a shutter that slides up and down. Yeah, is that it correct? is like it is an elastic band ah. with a light tight um, fabric um, sewed in, so I can just place the 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 box. Or the canister, and then just slide open the the elastic band. Oh, very nice! It was nice. the way for a shutter because there is no, yeah, nothing else. It's very easy and it's always tight. Yeah, that looks. I really. Like, oh, sorry, are you uh, are you um, doing your own pinholes, or are you doing? Or are you buying the pinholes for this? Um, because that is a heck of a sharp pinhole on thirty five millimeter or or the equivalent size paper. 
Actually, I think this one in this particular camera is is uh, not manufactured by me. I bought that one from eBay. Okay. Okay. And I built a lot of my own pinholes, and I really like doing them by myself because that they are not as perfect. And I like the the more dreamy nature of pinholes. Yeah. I have I have a saying, and that saying is going down the fidelity curve. You know, uh, the closer you are, you know, sharp is sharp and sharp is good in a lot of situations. And with some of my pinhole cameras, I strive for sharp. But there are other situations where I want a messy, dirty image. Yeah, and that's the down the fidelity curve. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. I really love how these render, particularly that, that first image from the pinhole. Uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, it's sort of like a 180 degree view down a street that looks like, you know, from the very early days of photography, it is impressively sharp, uh, but also extremely distorted. And, um, you know, it kind of looks to me like um, one of those rotating swing lens, like a horizon or a yeah. wide lux type of image. I, I love it. It's extremely impressive for something that you took with a film can. And it is in in the foreground. You can see some weird lines and shapes. And this is actually actually the bench I placed it on. It's, it was a wooden bench. And I like I really like about pinhole photography that some regular things like a wooden bench suddenly looks like a weird something else. It almost reminds me of um, like those. Uh, what do you say? Uh, the solar can where you where you get the arcs from the sun, uh, but it's sort of on the bottom of the image and it's a bench. I also think that uh, these pictures benefit from having like old style European architecture and then they look just like, you know, yeah. uh, pictures from Nadar. <laughs> yeah. And they're they're timeless. You know, they're they're uh, a lot of them are timeless because of that architecture. Yeah, I have a, I have a question. So uh, one of the uh, well, also a note, um, be, because there's so much distortion with the 180 degree plus view, um, that actually works really well with the natural vignetting that you're also getting. Um, yep. the, the two things work together so that it isn't as, dis it's not distracting and it focuses you, you're on the center, but everything else in the image is framing it in a really interesting way. So that's one thing. But the other uh, thing I wanted to ask you is when you use film in this, uh, do you think about which way the emulsion goes? Are you like snipping pieces of film and stuffing them in the can in a, in a dark bag or something like that? Yeah, I, I, I used um, orthographic film so I could load it in, in red light. Uh-huh. And are but you think, are you thinking about which way the emulsion points are? Is yeah. It, yeah. So that's Definitely. Fa facing the pinhole that side? Exactly. Yes. Right. Exactly. And, but it, and what? Yeah. So, uh, what year did you make these uh, this film can camera? This I I think I did this last year, but I, I did some of them before. This was just like the pinnacle of film canister pinhole cameras. That's mm -hmm. why it, <laughs> it is it is by far the best film can camera that I have ever seen. You know, I've seen hundreds of these. I've made versions of them, but I've never really taken excellent photos with them. I think that's really impressive, particularly like within the ethos of this podcast, which is, you know, making excellent stuff with uh, the, the most basic of ingredients. Thank you.
Oh, thank you. Oh, I keep trying to scroll to see what else you got on this uh, <laughs> this page, but I, I realize I know, it's I'm, a I'm doing screen share. Thing. I have a, oh, there, I have, there's I have even a little video of the shelter. Uh, there you can see the shelter. There it oh, is. Oh, clever. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I have a couple of those aluminum cans stashed away. I, I'm definitely going to uh, make one of these. It's beautiful. You know, my dad told me a story from when he was in high school. He was a photographer as well, and he, you know, worked in the days when uh, aluminum film cans were uh, common, and he had grown some iodine crystals in chemistry lab, and so he was keeping them around his neck in a film can, you know, just to show people his iodine crystals, and one day, you know, his chest starts burning, <laughs> and he realized that they were reacting with the aluminum and they had eaten a hole in the can. <laughs> <laughs> Better as a camera. Yeah. All right, Sam, what, what else do you, uh, what else have you made? What can you show us before we get I, to the giant one? Unfortunately, I do not have any other home-built cameras that I took pictures of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, can you describe some uh, that are, you know, somewhere between a film cam camera and the camera that you could put a house inside of that's behind you? Um, <laughs> there is there is not much um, I did in between. I really I just jumped for a really big camera. <laughs> it is extremely impressive uh, that you just went for it without any intermediate steps. I have learned in my younger years to try not to bite off more than I can chew, which bit me back a bunch of times. Um, yeah, I don't actually know, Ethan, you, you haven't learned that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, successively. Um, all right, so do you guys have any more questions before we, we get into the meat of this thing? I, I wanna see this giant camera behind Sam. Yeah, well, let's, let's go ahead. Sam, tell us, uh, let, let's get into it. What, tell us about this, uh, what, what do you call it, the big tuna? It's even got yeah. like a little fish sticker on it. Um, yeah, I can, sh should I show you around maybe? Yeah, please. <laughs> okay, well, it's, it started when when we, we thought about uh, taking pictures on colored paper, and then we thought it would be cool to have big pictures that you can hang on the wall without enlarging, without scanning or anything. And then we came up with 16 by 20 because that is just a really nice setup. And when we looked at the internet for lenses, uh, I found out that those Russian lenses, like from Lomo, they go for like 150 bucks. Wait, what, what lens is that? I have a Lomo, I think, 850. It is um, Lomo 600 F10. Cool. <laughs> without, without a shutter, there is no shutter inside, and um, just the, just the aperture. So I have a lens I've been saving up for the same purpose. Um, oh yeah, I was. It's a six hundred and ten millimeter. I was very lucky and got it even quite a bit even cheaper than yours. But it is huge. This thing weighs, is, yeah. you know, four pounds or something. And yeah. But so for uh, yeah. for our. Um, uh, podcast listeners, um, 
this is uh, a barrel lens. It has no shutter in it. It does have aperture, right? It does yeah. have an aperture control. Um, and it has like a flange on it and that is just screwed into the front plate um, exactly. uh, of this of this camera. Hey, Graham, your camera is off. Uh-oh, okay. Um, and the image circle of this lens is even bigger than 16 by 20. So which is cool, but it's it's it, there is a danger of building an even bigger camera because this image circle of this lens is so big. It Sam, is, is that image circle that big even when you have it focused at infinity? Uh, yeah. And um, even wide open, it covers 16 by 20 easily. Wow. So when stopping down, it's I think stop down you could you could go way bigger than this. That's Maybe you have to vignetting, but yeah, it's not really a big deal. That sounds like my lens. They were designed for copying work. Uh, exactly. So yes. They were used as more as a macro lens, uh, but they can copy a huge poster size uh, piece of paper or whatever. Yeah. And uh, and then, but I'm really glad to hear it'll cover 16 by 20 at infinity. That's great. Mm -hmm. And from then I just bought it just for fun. I bought it and and after that it was like, yeah, we have to, I have to build it. There is no way around it. I have to build it. <laughs> and um, then when the whole country shut down due to pandemic, I had time to build it. So that's the main reason we I really did it. <laughs> Wait, so so you saw some videos on direct positive. You said, I want to do that, and then you just bought a lens and then then you were committed. I, I, at first, I with my 5x7 camera, I did some tests. So I could see, I, I knew that the paper is going to work with filtration, with exposure. I, I knew that paper is going to work. But I did a lot of testing on 5x7 color paper. paper. It, was, it was a nightmare, like hundreds <laughs> of sheets. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so hey. Yes. Um, it, it looks like there's some hinges on that. So uh, for those people on the, the audio side, you know, it's it's it looks extremely simple, which I am sure it is not. It's like a big box with an arm sleeve and, uh, you know, it's like nice plywood. It looks like there's two hinges on the front plate or are those just uh, brackets down at the bottom? Um, you mean here? No, or, no. Uh, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They are just just because it's it's the front part is a little bit heavier that it can support the lens, so I just screwed in some some additional um, yeah hinges just to make it more stable and that, awesome. Because first and, I just assembled the front and it, it was really really wobbly. And so then to the left of the lens, is there a hole that you've like plugged with a bung or uh, what's, exactly. what's going on there, there? There is just a small hole. Because when the, the lens is, is open, wide open, I painted the back of the camera, I painted pure white. And then you can just take off this cap, which is just a corkscrew. Cork uh -huh. And when you then look inside the camera, you can actually see the pictures and frame the picture on the, on the back wall. Wow. Because, because I don't have any film holders, um, but I, I have to frame the picture. And without the ground glass, this is the easiest way to see. I think I cannot show it on the webcam, but it is is a pretty pretty um, bright picture projected from the lens onto the back wall. That so, is absolutely brilliant. I've been looking for ways to do away with ground glass. That's really great. And I mean, it's, it's 
quite well. Yeah. It seems hard enough to frame and compose and focus on ground glass when you're looking in the same direction as your subject, but when you're backwards and the camera's pointing this way, do you find that sort of hard and disorienting to move the box around or, or have you figured it, it really, out? It is quite hard. Yeah, framing is, is probably the hardest part because when you want to go up, I have to underlay the camera with wooden blocks so that it goes up. <laughs> so really everything is very manual. There is no gears and no some stuff like this. And for I, I, I first I thought I could focus as well this way, but it's impossible to get pictures in, in focus through this hole. So that's why on the back, on the back of the camera, when we walk around, maybe you can see it now, I drilled in a small hole. <laughs> and in there it, this it, is looking this is looking more and more like a camera that I would build. Uh, uh, it, it, the little cover just fell to the ground. So, yes. <laughs> so that yeah, hole, just... we're looking at a hole right in the back of the camera that appears to be about two or three centimeters in diameter. Exactly, yes. And it's covered with this, with a, just a wooden cover. And inside there is an old ground glass I had in a broken Rolleiflex camera. And I just installed that um, on the same level as the paper will be. And when I look in, when, I, when I'm looking in there, I can actually focus in the center of the picture on ground glass. That's so, I can you're, really... so you're framing by looking through the front, but yeah, exactly. you're focusing by looking through the back. Exactly. Now I can't wait to see the focus mechanism on this. The focus mechanism so is really, maybe I'm getting a... as you would yeah. expect. The focus mechanism is really complicated. <laughs> Uh -huh. The whole camera is just two wooden boxes sliding inside each other. Mm -hmm. There are some handles on and then I just slide it out. Beautiful. <laughs> okay, yeah. so it's just a, uh, uh, for, for the <laughs> listeners, it's a box in box. One box slides in, side exactly. the other one. That's the focusing mechanism. That's the focus. And so do you actually, have a way of clamping it down so that you don't... I mean, uh, it weighs 800 pounds. How do you, why do you, what do you need to clamp? <laughs> yeah, that's, at first I thought I had to, to clamp it down, but it's actually, yeah, it's too heavy. It, it won't do anything. Okay. It's, a, it's known as a gravity clamp. Exactly. Okay. Yes. It uses physics. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I've actually built a very similar camera to this one. When I started uh, doing direct positives, Joe brought over a tailboard camera that he had made years ago, which you know, had some deficiencies, but was also one of the most fun cameras that I had ever used. And it was just a box like yours, right? And it was so fast uh, to use. And so we made together some laser cut version of it. But what I found was I really needed a tailboard because as I pulled the inner box out the back, it would sort of sag and I would get not, uh, you know, not perfect alignment. So the tailboard sort of kept it up. Um, I wonder if you have just done this with better precision or the fact that yeah, it's so big. The two boxes, they fit in so snugly, I had to sand them down to, to really fit them. So it's a really snug fit. And I only focus to like three or four meters and then it expands like 10 centimeters out. So it's really, it's not, not a lot that comes out at the back. There is no problem until now. Maybe if I'm going to take Portraits, portraits or like really close stuff, then I have to rethink it probably. 
But for landscapes and everything down to three meters, it's it works pretty well. Wow. And and so um, moving on systems, uh, I love that you have an Afghan box camera style uh, sleeve there. Do you have one on either side or just, I mean, I assume yes, that you can't even reach around. Uh, yeah, there is, actually oh, there there is, there's one here on this side and the other one is on the other side. And I can reach in with both arms. So it Are you works. like eight feet tall? <laughs> <laughs> it, works, it works quite well, but it looks weird. That's like the weirdest part. When people walk by you and you're like inside this box, they think you are mental. Yeah. <laughs> and then inside are just two, two paper, um, paper boxes. One is for unexposed and one is for exposed. And then I just lift open um, one and box and hang it with magnets in the back. And they just fit down in the bottom of the, the camera? Yeah, exactly. They're, just, they're, they're sitting down here in the bottom of the camera. Um, so these these uh, armholes are have uh, sleeves in them with with a uh, an elastic base to that sleeve, so that um, yeah yeah so it keeps the light out. It's very much uh, like a changing bag. It's just like the sleeves exactly. up. They actually are they are from a changing bag. Ah, just perfect. Them and yeah, glue them on. They're <laughs> How did you glue them? Or is, is there like a retaining ring there? There is, yeah, there is a, a retaining ring here. Oh. And I just, I, I glue them on there and then the whole ring on the camera. Because at first I just attached them to the camera and they were always hanging inside the camera and, and making some weird um, shadows on the, on the paper. Mm -hmm. But hey. it's also, it's just cardboard, a cardboard ring that sits on top of the camera, very easy. Sam, can we see inside the camera? Can you pull the back yeah. off? or? Oh. Of course. I'll, I'll just put it here. Yeah. Hey, before you do that, would you demo what it looks like with your arms inside the uh, inside the camera? I mean, this thing oh, is, oh. what, like 20-something inches wide. They're, it's, like, wider than my shoulders. I, I imagine that it's, like, really hard uh, gymnastics to get in there. Well, I don't think he needs to get... Uh... Like this. Oh, no. <laughs> That's so good. Okay, so um, actually, I think that we may have uh, um, Sam. If you could do that one more time, uh, Ethan may have pulled the audio or oh, pulled sorry. the video uh, by laughing during that. So I just want to uh, just want to see that. Uh, yeah. So say something now, Sam. So you pull the video. Yeah, so now I just put my arms inside and it's quite, you can reach around quite easily and just hang the paper inside the camera. It's, it's really, Perfect. really simple. Perfect. So, um, and, and I want to do a little bit more description. This looks like it is uh, made out of plywood. Uh, what is the uh, thickness of that plywood? It's about... Well, uh, I think about five millimeters, which is okay. Think, um, it's quarter inch. Quarter inch, okay. Yeah. So it's not that thick, but okay. it's still still about. Yeah, it's it's heavy. It's quite heavy. It looks like okay. a very sturdy camera. Like you could roll that thing down a flight of stairs, and it would be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It probably it wouldn't need 
um, this thickness of plywood, but yeah, it's just the, the one I had. Mm -hmm. And then one other interesting feature, because, because for, for the color paper, um, you need filtration because the colors will always be off. And the filters I have are like three filters. They are really dark. And if I put them inside the camera, I cannot compose anymore because the picture is too dark. And if I put them in front of the camera because I don't have a shutter, it's always too dark. So I'll just, maybe you can see it. I just put them on a, on a hanger, the filters that I can pull up out of the way of the lens. And when I take a picture, I just pull them down again. And does that peg pull out of the top and go into the side to keep them up while you're focusing? Exactly. It's like this, and then it just... So this is the, the default mechanism when I'm composing pictures. So clever. Hey, can, can we, we see that from the inside? Yeah, I can open it up. Ethan, describe that so that uh, so okay, that yeah. So can, so can while hear. Sam's doing this, um, for those of you listening, uh, it's like uh, he's got a rod with the filters on the end. We're about to see inside and how the filters are attached. But he pulls the rod up from the front of the camera and then puts a peg through the center of the rod to keep them out of the way of uh, of the uh, lens while he's focusing composing. And on, on top of the rod, there was a disc which uh, stops the rod from dropping in the camera, and also when it's down, serves as a light trap. Like this. It's it's really simple. It's as simple as it could be. That's great. And is that just like a Kodak Rattan filter or a set of filters? I I found out as much as uh, like you did as well. It is multi-grade, Ilford multi-grade filters. I see. I see. It That's is Joe's method. Double zero, I think, uh, one. And I have some very thin um, tungsten to daylight filters, and I put a, a few of them in, so it's it's not as cool anymore the color. Mm -hmm. So it's about it's really about four or five filters. Yeah. And the filters is attached to the bottom of the rod by a uh, little butterfly nut uh, in a bolt um, and then I guess you must have a way to know when you're lifting it up and down that you've got it uh, perpendicular to the light path uh, is there a mark or something uh, no just in so, the downward position it's just it's it's as far as away as it should be uh, without getting tangled in the lens right, anything, yeah. right. it's so it's very close to the lens yeah, yeah. exactly yeah yeah, and that's that's about it. And in the other, in the other back, maybe you can see it. There's just a painted white back where I, I put the paper. I have some small magnets holding it in place. Awesome. And this is the the small ground glass from my old Rolleiflex, and just the paper boxes. That's it. And it looks like you even put flaps on the inside of your sleeves. Yeah, exactly. I, oh, I, noticed, nice. I noticed that when I'm pulling out the hands from the, the sleeve, sometimes a little bit of light gets in. So I have some curtains installed here with light tight fabric, and they just fold over the, the holes for the, the sleeves. So then it's, it's really, really light tight. And That's I never had any, any light leaks or anything anymore. That was like the last problem I had to solve. 
because when pulling out the sleeves in this position, sometimes, uh, yeah, there, there are light leaks. Uh, do you guys have any more camera-related questions, or I'm dying to see some photos you shot with this thing? I yeah, I think we've uh, covered the camera quite well. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, I'm scheming ways to rip it uh -huh. off personally, but <laughs> so I've got to figure out. I've got to figure out uh, uh, a build uh, that uh, uses a lot of these ideas. So yeah, the, the mighty. I, I'm excited. Like yeah, yeah, and all the ideas are very very simple because the whole company was in lockdown and I couldn't. Yeah any supplies, any wood, anything. And I think if I had more time and more access to different supplies, the camera would be way more complicated. Yeah. But that's, it's kind of, I like about it that oh. it's so simple. You, everything on it you can build even without a workshop. It is really Okay, so, simple. yeah, that's kind of my question. So what would you do differently if you were to build it today? So if you were to build it without the limitations that you had at the time? Well, I would probably install a proper shutter, proper shutter mechanism, because now I only have like this, this hood I put on and take off. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I take pictures wide open, the, the exposure times are like 15 seconds and you're just, yeah, too, too slow so, for 15 like, seconds. So yeah, the shutter then is yeah. like a little leather cylinder. Uh, looks like sewn out of leather, is that right? Exactly, yeah, it's yeah. cardboard covered in, in leather. Mm -hmm. I would do that differently and I would probably install the, the um, sleeves a little bit better. I would really make a proper attachment ring with really the right size sleeves, not just the sleeves from the, the changing bag I had. So that because it is, it would be more comfortable to reach inside the camera with proper attached sleeves. So when when I built a camera like this, um, I was using a lot of thin plywood, and I don't know. I assume Swiss lumber is a little bit more precise, but. Um, my lumber was once in a while I would get like a board that was really twisted and so my method was to do a lot of like lamination and interlocking joints so that by the time I put it together and clamped it in the right position when the glue set everything was perfectly straight but I mean just looking over the webcam your joinery looks beautiful and I'm not exactly sure how you did it uh, do you have like biscuits in there or I, you know I don't know what they call them in Zurich I just had um, glue and nails. So it's just glued and then with small nails held in place. I think, that, I think you're looking at the quality of the plywood. Uh, I used to work at a cabinet shop and there's, you know, construction grade plywood is very inconsistent, but cabinet grade plywood made properly, it, it's sure. much better to work. Yeah, the wood, the wood was like perfect. Was, everything was really flat and it was really nice to work with. It looks like all of your cuts are really, I mean, like the joinery looks great. Um, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't have any like dovetails or router stuff, no. but, but it's, no. everything is like flush and I don't see any crookedness or gaps. Um, I, I don't think I could do that with nails in a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, it was the first few joints are always a nightmare because everything wobbles and, but, but then it, it yeah, it's, it got pretty easy. And, 
that's the only thing really uh, Carpenter did um, before lockdown. It was like the last day and he just uh, made uh, my boards. He just really saw them pre precisely. That's the only thing a, a professional did. And I think it was worth it because with my hand saw, I would like, yeah. Uh, so I have a, I do have a home technique that you can use with your handsaw. Uh, make a cut slightly oversized and then sand it to the precise line using a, a, some sort of fence or ruler. Yeah, I did. I it takes did a little time, but, but you can. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I did. I did a lot of sanding with this camera. Right. But because that's the two boxes, yeah. they, they had like no, no tolerance. So I had to sand them down in order to to get them fit snugly. And and so Sam, you had uh, somebody else make the cuts, I assume, on like a table saw with a nice uh, sliding fence. Um, yeah. Did you draw this thing out by hand, or make a CAD model, or did you just come up with it in your head? Uh, what 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 were the plans you gave the carpenter? I just gave him him um, no plans at all. Just I need one board in this dimension and one board in this dimension. I have a little notebook and I just started drawing plans and they got more refined through the whole notebook. And then in the end, I had just like the precise measurements I would need. Did you draw it like, like it, did you draw it in uh, 3D and then like unfold the panels or? No, no, it was just, maybe I, maybe I can grab my old notebook. Then yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that, that was like the first drawing I did of the idea of the camera. So it just, it just started like this. In a, in a meeting we had, I just started drawing the idea of, of sleeves and a cutout where the sleeves would interlock with the other box. And from there, I just started yeah, drawing rough models of the dimensions. And then it went all the way to like, yeah, like final plans. Those were my final plans. That's all I got. <laughs> so Those are no, great. No computer, no 3D work. Just yeah, just thinking about dimension and boxes and everything. Yeah, that's that's the one. That's I just went to the carpenter with these dimensions. I need a one board in this dimension, one in this dimension. Yeah, that's Wild. it. So do you do a lot of uh, drawing or, or mechanical drawing sketches of, of things you'd like to build? I assume you do the same for tables yeah. and things. I, I got books and books and books of this. Exactly. I have like a lot of this of those um, little notebooks and I have everything I, I'm thinking about, everything I, I want to build, I always have to do a sketch because otherwise I cannot really um, see what I'm doing. So it's always with sketches. And actually mm. the next the next sketch is all already on, and yeah, we maybe can talk about it's this. Stereo. It is stereo. Okay, so for those of you at home, it's a picture of uh, of a similar type of. Uh, it looks like a box in box, but it's got two lenses on the front. And uh, is it is the idea to shoot onto a single sheet of paper for that? Yeah, I have like I have this big camera now, but now everything is went back to normal. I have to work. I have a small mm -hmm. child that is running around, so the camera is becoming very impractical to just have it <laughs> around. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm going to use it for. A, I have a few projects in mind, and actually, somebody will probably lend it and do some of his pro 
projects as well. But for an everyday camera, it's just, yeah, it's just not practical. I, I think what you need to do is put a plant on it and, uh, you know, like ivy, let it grow down over, you know, so, and just leave it in the living room. I was going to say strap lugs for a neck strap. <laughs> <laughs> That'll make it practical. Um, but then I was, was thinking about, okay, the direct positive colored paper is really nice, but it's just too big. So I have to build a smaller camera. But going back in size is just no fun. It's not no fun if you take big pictures and then suddenly you have small pictures. It's not really fun. And that's why I, I'm trying to add another feature just to do them in stereo, which means a 10 by 15 paper. And I'll do a stereo picture on 10 by 15 color paper. And then I, at least, I have a smaller print, but then people can view it in 3D with a 3D uh, goggles I already have. So that's like yeah. doing smaller prints, but then they have to be in 3D, yes, at least. <laughs> um, and one, one of the things about 3D is that really because of our normal interocular distance, the you can't do a big 3d and expect people to really view it well um no. so it, it kind of needs to be a small device unless they uh, unless they stand very far back from there is no need for a big 3d print so right. i thought that's like a brilliant next idea just for a easy carry around camera so one of the things that i noticed about the color reversal process for ra4 paper is that um, it really lends itself, I think, to bigger and bigger cameras, which sort of led me down the trying to build a 20 by 24 uh, when I get my laser in. But um, it's, it's because it has sort of like that, you know, it's it's not even a grain. It's sort of like a texture to the images. Have, have you encountered this? Like well, actually, when, when I saw your video and you were talking about this texture, texture I didn't have that. So my really? picture... My pictures are sharp until the very end. So this is this like Whoa, what paper in chemistry are you using? That's amazing. And when you when you zoom in, I, I'm not sure if you can see it, but there is absolutely no grain. There is just detail and shadows and yeah, it is insane. That's crazy. That's probably the best print I've seen out of this process. It is really, this one is, it's hanging in my, my daughter's room because she likes big noisy machines <laughs> and it came out really, really great. And there is no grain. It is Fuji, Fuji archive, Fuji crystal arch archive paper. That's what I'm using. The, with the Tetanol um, Air um, RA4 kit. All right. I guess I'm going to order some Tetanol the next time. <laughs> I think you developed the first development you did with Dectol. Yep. And I did with uh, with Multigrade, Ilford Multigrade, but I'm not sure if that makes a big difference. That's it. Right. So actually, I don't know if this was pre or post video, but Joe and I drilled down into this pretty far, and we were talking to uh, whoever it is, the photo engineer on Photrio. He's, he's into it, or photochemist. Um, we noticed that you could see that pattern already after the first developer. So we decided that it had to be first developer related, right? You can see it in the black and white negative. And Probably, so we yeah. tried uh, Dectol at different dilutions and different temperatures. I assume you're just doing it at room temperature. Um, yeah. yeah. And we thought like maybe 
we would start, uh, I have like built some homemade temperature controllers, but we didn't want to get that far if we didn't have to, because ultimately we want to do it outside uh, without a generator, you know. Um, I think we tried one other paper developer, but we, we did not use Ilford multigrade, but uh, that's- the best, the best results I got with a, with a very, very weak paper developer. It's our own brand. It's called RC Marble PE. And it doesn't even have like hydroquinone in it. It's like uh -huh. extra, it's like based on a vitamin C. Uh -huh. And the best results I got with, with this one. Just, it was not not very aggressive and just for like five minutes. I did development for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And are you finding that you have to really sort of overexpose the paper so that like the negative is almost black, right? So you can cut down through uh, a lot of the excess silver to get a good exposed positive? I didn't notice that. My negatives, they look quite um, normal. So they're not, not very dark negative pictures. And I do the, the color development, I do at room temperature as well. Okay. <laughs> I am going to make some more progress on this the next time I pick it up. <laughs> I just I found out that uh, the temperatures for the color, the paper color developer, just the first, the first developer, it has to be the paper and the chemistry has to have this the same temperature. But mm. I, I, I did it at 38 degrees at first, and then I started doing it at 20 degrees, and it, it worked as well. Yeah. So I think my my developing um, techniques are uh, very very rough. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so I mean, I, I spent a lot of time printing color negatives, both like C prints and uh, RA four back in the day, and like uh, color temperature was really important to uh, keep like tone, but more importantly, color consistent. Uh, but I really really did not want to build a process around having to be at you know, body temperature that seemed way too hot for, you know, work in the field. But I, I found out that because it is a reversal process, you're just, because everything you're going to develop with the color developer, it's like everything is fully exposed. So you, you don't... So it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. When you enlarge, like, from negatives with proper development, you really have to get all the color layers in the right amount of development time. But since it's yeah, it's fully exposed. Everything is fully exposed to light. I think it it makes it uh, way more tolerant to uh, temperature and developing times. I, th I think that's a beautiful insight. That's that's a very similar insight that I have had to the black and white process. But you've taken it a step further, which is that you know you could use a lot of things to control contrast, like. Like in normal black and white printing, right? You could control contrast normally with like RC paper or paper grade and filtration, but you could also control contrast with developing time, even though it's not recommended because you start throwing so many variables in. And a lot of people have asked me, you know, uh, how does the first exposure versus the second exposure time, uh, you know, vary and like, okay, or the first development time, but I, what I have, the insight that Joe and I had was that we would use the first developer to completion, right, as much as it could go, which just removed an entire variable from the process. And it, as it sounds like your insight is that it removes a couple variables later on in the process. I, I really, I think that's very clever. 
I've learned yeah, something. Yeah, the easiest way yeah, to fully develop the, the first developer. So you fully develop all the silver that has been exposed inside the camera, and then you fully expose the rest of the paper to light and fully develop in the second stage. And, and so are you just uh, developing these in a bathroom or do you have a dark room? I assume you're not doing them inside the camera. No, I was thinking about this as well. It, maybe you could fit in a drum, but I have a small dark room in the basement near my workshop. And just 16 by 20 inches, just the biggest paper I can handle in, inside this room. <laughs> and I actually, I actually do it um, with uh, half a liter of chemistry. So it is really, I don't need a lot of chemistry as well. So that's, it's, a, yeah, it's very economical. And, and are you like constantly agitating the trays up and down? Exactly. Everything is, is constantly agitated there. Hey, Sam, do you have any more? Yeah. Uh, for mini labs, am I right? Yeah. Um, have you tried some other different papers? Uh, not yet. There is only in Europe, there is really only food you can get. Yeah. You could order some rolls of Kodak paper, but um, yeah, you have to cut it by yourself because you only can you can only get it in the size of a roll. Can can we see some more photos? <laughs> I'm dying. I unfortunately the ones I have here, I have like another one from the truck. I did like two from the truck, but this came out a little bit too bright. And uh, I have some more trees. There's some more, and the other ones are, unfortunately, the other ones are in the basement. Yeah, I did portraits as well, but they looked horrible because the flesh tones are, were way off. And I accidentally took some double exposures as well, which in detail, I did, it's like a blue, a blue, like, I don't know how to call it in English. Uh, we would call that a dumpster. Sheet twice. And that's possible as well. I have to explore this a little bit more as well because, yeah, it's a it's a double exposure, unfortunately. You know, this kind of reminds me. Uh, have you ever seen the Five Obstructions? It's a Lars von Trier movie. Uh, maybe. Graham and I have talked about this a bunch. Maybe he's tired of it, but um, it's this movie I'll still where see it, but. Uh, Lars von Trier finds his famous or his most favorite filmmaker, like one of his inspirations who, you know, he made this maybe in the early 2000s or something, late 90s. And the, his favorite filmmaker, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, blanking on it, but uh, he finds him and challenges him to remake a movie that he had made in like the 60s or 70s. Uh, but each time he gives him a different obstruction, like, um, in one, I think he can only use 15 frame clips. So like half a second at a time. And in one, like he has to shoot it, you know, uh, in like, I don't know. You should check it out. But it, this project and, and particularly shooting um, uh, color positives on paper, um, the way you're going about it really reminds me of that. And a lot of the things that we do around here remind me of that. But I, I think you've really like figured out, okay, these are the obstructions to this process. How do I use them? Like, and, and photographing like the blue dumpster, uh, you know, is, is like 
okay, blue things look great. Let's let's use it for that. I I really love that. I think it's super clever. And I really like. I always like this about uh, analog photography that you always have to work with limitations because other people say, "Oh, you're only shooting black and white." Or when I carry a large format camera up the hill, people are like, "Okay, you only have this lens, so you cannot take everything else." And I always really enjoyed the the limitations of analog photography that you have you have your setup and it can do this or that and you have to work creative creatively around this obst obstructions i think that limitations is limitations are the mother of creativity it is really really cool so in a digital camera that can do everything is like i i wouldn't know what to do with it because i need some sort of limitations to in order to get creative so I, I often think that there's uh, two types of photographers, right? One one type is really interested in pictures, and the other is really interested in cameras. Uh, certainly, I fall a little bit into both camps, right? But uh, I, I used to buy and sell cameras, and I've been to 50 states meeting photographers, and it was so boring to me, the people who wanted to talk about the gear, right? Like, I had seen it all. I wanted to give them a price and buy it or not move on but like what i loved is when they would be excited about some work they made and, and show me and I, I think about this also in terms of like the people who were really into the gear were often into like limitless gear and i fell into this trap for sure when i got into it is like i wanted a camera that could do everything and, and capture any situation that i might be in and over the years you know uh i i figured out it was not really about being able to take a great photo of everything. I'm not really a photojournalist. It was about being able to take a couple great photos, whatever they were of, you know, which I'm still working on. But um, I, I think you have figured that out with a wooden box really, really well. Yeah, it has both both uh, sides. It is you can talk about camera and gear, but also yeah, it is just there to take pictures. Mm -hmm. Hey Sam. Um, I, I know, like when when we first started talking, you showed me that Arzamago uh, blog post that you made. Um, maybe we can go through some of that, or if you have some other photos of you working with the camera in the field, or. Um... Unfortunately, it is not well documented. I was always alone by myself out, and I built it alone by myself, and it is really badly documented. The whole process. I didn't think it would it would matter to a lot of people what I'm doing in my basement. So I didn't take pictures of the working progress. So mm -hmm. I can only show you the camera, but. <laughs> so at you know this that? point, I'm going to remind all of our um, home builders that take pictures as yeah. you build it. So when you submit it to the zine, <laughs> then we'll have those. Now we don't require that, you know, um, uh, for for Zine. I'm just uh, I'm gonna just drop in. We're gonna do a Zine again this year, and um, the deadline is the end of August. And you're going to send all of your stuff to hmczine2020.com. So no, sorry, not uh, sorry. I'll I'll do that again. hmczine2020 at gmail.com. So um, that's what our, uh, you know, that's where we want everything to, to uh, go to. And Sam, you're going to send us whatever you got of this, right? <laughs> okay. Everything I have. Um, cool. So you actually answered one of my questions that I forgot to ask, which was, do you have help operating the camera? Right. I could see that a camera like this, you might want somebody 
you know, pulling focus or moving the camera around while you're looking or uh, you just do it all yourself? Until now, I did it all by myself. I had a car. Well, actually, I do not own a car, which is probably funny for you guys in, in the States. I don't own a car. Um, but I had a friend helping me for one pictures in, in, uh, in the city because it was like, yeah, it was, we had to carry it around the block when we couldn't get there with the car. So he helped me. But other than that, I did it all by myself until now. But a lot wow. of my friends are like, okay, I want to join in. I want to, I want to hang a picture of this and that in my bedroom. And yeah, they have to, they will come along. And then it will, it will be easier to set it up and to focus and everything. Yeah. I assume it's like a camera that draws people's interest, right? Like I, I from 7,000 miles away needed to talk to you about it. Like I assume that people who see it in person, um, it, I, I assume that it's, it's the type of camera that this sort of gets people engaged in the process and curious. Uh, I wonder how you use that sort of in your work, besides just tricking people into carrying your stuff around. <laughs> yeah, well, people, I think it's a great way to to also to show people um, what you, what you can do when you when you are up to something. Because a lot of people stopped and looked at my camera, and they there was a was a lot of people they didn't understand. They walked away not understanding what I'm doing. I think a camera like this is a good way to, to yeah, show people, okay, there is still color paper, there is still analog photography, there are still people doing old photography. And I think that's, that's a nice way to keep everything alive when you meet people who really do not understand what you're doing. <laughs> it is a, it's, it's a great tool to show people analog photography. Have, have you had the opportunity to bring it into the Arzamago shop? I assume that the people who Not show yet. up there would be, you know, Not super yet. interested. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe I'm, try and buy some. <laughs> at the moment, the shop, the shop has to be, uh, we have no space there because we have to, to block everything due to pandemic. But um, I'm planning to do a workshop on this camera. Maybe next year, where people so, can take pictures and experience um, color positive development. Definitely, we will do that. Definitely, yeah. Maybe you put that in between the checkout lines and put a bunch of film on top of it, and that's where you can store it. Yeah. <laughs> you can live in it if, if your house burns. <laughs> yeah, but I'm planning to do a lot more stuff with the camera, just experience-wise, taking people along, making a workshop, because when you see color paper developing in daylight into a color print it is it is so insane it really is insane yes um hey sam can we just go through that that blog post as a screen share would you just walk us through it a little bit um i'm sure the people who have made it this far in this video will go read and look for themselves but um might be might be kind of a nice there is there is not a lot of content in yet because we, we did it when, when the whole country was in lockdown, we had to do something to just entertain people because the shop was closed. But until now, we only have like, um, uh, where you can see the whole story about the big camera. You have uh, something about film developing. You have something about um, lumen prints or uh, pinhole photography. But that's pretty much it until now. We are planning to do a lot more but um, it's, yeah, it's not much yet. Mm -hmm. Can we look at the Big Tuna article? The Big I think Tuna. there are some great photos in there, and I think there's even one video. 
it's been actually a step, excluding myself, um, building the camera, every step is in, in there. There is um, my test prints, a lot of test prints. Are those test prints 16 by 20, or you shot smaller? They're five by seven. They're just smaller ones, yeah. Five by seven, and they were always off. It was really, yeah, it was horrible at first. And then the camera itself, where you can see um, the lens, you can see the focusing hole, and you can also see inside the camera. That's what you, what you see when you look inside the hole in the front of the camera. So the picture is really bright and really crisp. So you can, for framing, it's really, really nice. And then you can see the focusing with the ground glass in the back and how I focus with the interlocking um, boxes. Then you can see the sleeves at the side. You can see inside the camera how I load the paper. So I just put my hands in and then take <laughs> That's one a great picture. And then hang it. <laughs> so it's really a basic operation. And then the picture with the filters that you can put in the filters before the taking the picture and the shutter as well, just a small cap. And then I also go through developing and there is a video of, of developing the picture. And this is the part that really people are like, they do not understand what's going on there. It is so cool. It is so cool. And then there are just a, a gallery with the best of results, with the tree, with the... I love this one with the truck. It, yeah, this one with the truck is really, it's insane. <laughs> it's unbelievable, that picture. I have to do more blue trucks. And then also the link to... Oh, there's me. <laughs> and the link to Ethan, yeah. <laughs> And um, the link to this blog post will be in the show notes for this uh, episode for those of you who are not able to watch it. Uh, so don't uh, don't trash this episode. Just hold on to it. Get home and uh, and watch those. Watch it on YouTube. You can even, uh, you know, maybe do a little bit of fast forwarding if you've already listened, but you get the idea. Um, Sam, can you turn off the screen share so we can talk to you again? Okay, great. Um, so, I mean, we've kind of just like made this one long roll, but one segment uh, that we like to do is like, what have you been up to this week? And then we like to do, what uh, are you, you know, doing next? Let's let's kind of roll those together, if you don't mind, Graham, and like ask Sam yeah. about maybe um, what else he has been up to, sort of recently in the pandemic, photographically and what you might be interested in building or doing in the future. You know, we, we touched on your stereo camera, but I assume that you've got a few more drawings in that in that notebook or that head of yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where should I start with what I've been up to? Yeah, sure. I did, um, funny enough, I did a lot of pinhole photography recently. So I maybe I'm going to build a another pinhole camera as well but i'm really i was really into um going to um old antique stores and looking for stereo 
photography stuff. So I have like multiple view, stereo viewing stuff I found this week. And I'm definitely going to, to um, build a stereo camera. I already found two identical lenses from old size folding cameras. So I have two identical lenses. And yeah, at the moment I'm trying, I'm drawing some, yeah, some sketches of a stereo camera. And that's definitely the next thing I'm going to do because it has to be more portable. Um, I have to you know, be able to carry it around. So I'm all in stereo at the moment. <laughs> That's great. Graham and I have, uh, we've, we've both gone way down the rabbit hole of learning about uh, stereo images. I have like a, go to ethanmoses.com slash 3D. There's a whole section of anaglyphs that I made in 2010 when I built a digital 3D camera. And I have a shelved digital Nimslo. Um, okay. It's, uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's something we're both very interested in. I, in fact, once gave a presentation in 2010 on all of the different methods of capturing and displaying stereographic images, which is when I learned that the only thing more embarrassing than nobody showing up to your giant lecture hall is when one person shows up and you give it to him. But it, we still had a good time. <laughs> we did it very informally. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's something that's very interesting to me. I'm less interested in analog stereography than digital stereography, uh, just because of the way I, I prefer to display it. It's like very hard to make analog uh, analog anaglyphs or analog uh, interlaced striped lenticular prints, although it is certainly done. Um, but yeah, one of these days we're going to have to do like an all stereo uh, all stereo show maybe maybe you can come back on and, and show us that camera i hope so yes there there are a couple of things that i want to say uh about doing stereo that um one of them is make sure that your lenses are interocular distance as, as close to what your eyes are as possible oh make I sure would. oh and and also you want them to be normal in length so you don't want them to end up telephoto. You don't want them to end up wide. You want them to be as normal as possible. And Ethan is going to contradict me here. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So I, I built He's a wrong. rig that. No, I, I'm definitely not wrong, Graham. Um, I, I built a rig where you could adjust all of these things, and um, you know, uh, normal focal lengths at a uh, you know five to ten foot distance. Uh, with a human interocular distance is reasonable, but like you, you can take stereo photos of the galaxy on telescopes that are miles apart, right? You can shoot uh, two frames in rapid succession in a car moving 60 miles an hour and get super stereo a telephoto of um, like a castle off in the distance if you're Sam or like a white castle if you're me uh, in America. But um, I, I think I don't disagree with any of this. I'm saying that if you are building one camera, do these things. That's my, <laughs> I, and well, Ethan's still going to contradict that. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the camera that I built had um, two L brackets and then a slider so you could change their distance apart. And then they also had synced zoom lenses. So um, often like, you know, I would shoot very, very close together, as close as I could get them and very wide angle up in people's faces, which was really effective for like party stuff. 
but also I shot a bunch of like uh, models for like clothing ads, right? Where you don't want to distort somebody's body, in which case, you know, I would zoom all the way in at like a hundred millimeters uh, for like a full body shot. And I back way up, you know, 40, 50 feet, at which point, you know, human interocular distance doesn't give you anything. And so I'd space the cameras about a foot apart. And so you could get still like some real pop um, from, from a distance that gives reasonable like uh, Sports Illustrated style. Uh, but I, I think, um, I, th I think it's reasonable to build a camera with, with two lenses that are, you know, 65, 70 millimeter interocular distance of, of normal focal length. But I also think it's really reasonable to make it kind of a, adjustable for, for a lot of other things. You're looking at me like I, like I just lost everybody. And I, 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 and everything. Yeah. And once again, you know, and um, I had I had two identical point and shoot digital cameras on a rail as well, mm -hmm. uh, and and I did all that. Um, uh, and I and I agree with you. If you're going to be, you're better off being telephoto, uh, better off having a long lens and then widening them. Uh, and but I'm also thinking about the complexity of that. This was a box camera that he was showing us. So I'm going to say use, <laughs> with a box camera, use normal lenses at the normal focal length, even if you, even if they're ending up cropping to a certain extent. Um, uh, and, uh, and that will help you out um, a lot. And also the viewing distance is about the angle of view. So if you are, if, you know, if you have a 16 by 20, you have to stand on the other side of the room to let your eyes make that um, a, um, uh, what do you, um, uh, a stereo image. So think about how you're going to be presenting them. If you're talking about those sliders, those stereopticon slider yeah. things, then that's the size. It's a six by six negative. Yeah. It's a six by six two six by sixes sitting next to each other or even smaller, maybe four by fours yeah, that's and, yeah. and sliding them in and out. So um, the paper lends itself so beautifully to this because you need yeah. a stereo color print to, to view 3D. So it's, it's right. really to do it with this uh, paper. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what you do with that. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I'm a little bit, I don't have that as a build, but you know, I would, I would love to put that in the queue for next year's builds, you know? So the dream camera journal, right? Right. Exactly. Hey, Sam, moving down the dream camera journal, do you keep a journal of projects you would like to do one day or uh, things that you have done? Well, as I stopped doing this because it was just too much and, and I got frustrated. So I just, it's always just one project is queuing at the time. <laughs> and at the moment, this is the stereo photography and I have some, yeah, some, some small other stuff. But building wise, I stopped doing a lot of different projects because in the end, I just get frustrated because you can only do one at a time. With a, with a small child. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's kind of amazing you can do any at a, at a time with a small child. I used to have a friend that we built a lot of things with, and he had a baby. <laughs> we haven't hung out really in like a year. And then uh, his his son is now uh, like at the age where you can hand him a wrench and and he can hang out. He's like two and a half. He's ready to work on cars. And then he's having another baby. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the one, and she is really easy to handle, and she sleeps sometimes, so there is always time. Ah, oh, just pack her up, stick her in your giant camera, take her down, <laughs> down the road. <laughs> cool. Um, Graham, do we have any other photography-related questions? I I think that I'm I'm good. I'm uh, really excited about this. Um, I want to see more. I want to see how it uh, how it evolves, and and by it I mean the the series of cameras that you're doing um, uh, direct color prints on. Um, I'm I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about starting that myself, and it I haven't that. yet. So yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I I'm good on that. I, I would like uh, Sam to keep in mind some more documentation because there's a lot of us that would really love to see the process a little bit more in depth. Like, I think what you're doing is is amazing. For the next build, I will definitely awesome. take more pictures of the building process. I learned that. I learned that. <laughs> Great. Hey, Sam, um, is there anything that you want to talk about that we missed? I think we, no. I think we showed you everything. Yeah, no, I'm... Okay, so now I think would be a great time for you to tell people where they can find you and plug anything that you would like to plug. <laughs> well, you can you can find me in a store in Zurich uh, where you're always welcome because my Instagram and our blog is not really up to date, so I'm really analog. <laughs> but I please everyone that is in Zurich, please come by. We have a great little shop and you can always come in and ask everything you'd like. We are open for everything all the time. Okay, and those of us who are not in Zurich, I might I might get there one day again. I, I really loved it. But um, where can people find you on the internet? There's, there's at least one excellent blog post about this camera. Exactly, we have our blog and we also have an, an Instagram account from Arsimago Switzerland. And there we try to entertain with quirky, funny, cool stuff that we find. So you can find there a lot. I also have an Instagram myself, but it is not as interesting as the blog post about the big camera. I bet it's pretty cool. Do, do you mind sharing? Yeah, it is just Sam Traxel. And we'll have that link on uh, oh. in the show notes. 30, hang on a second. Let me... I was uh, somewhere else. Um, Graham is probably on eBay looking up parts for things that you have inspired him to do. Graham spends half of our podcasts on eBay when people are doing like really interesting hey, stuff. I don't uh, share my screen. How do you know? Well, I know. Uh, I, we've been doing this how long? Your glasses. You can see it reflecting in your glasses. Yeah. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when Graham and I first got on this call, he was like, well, hang on. I got to uh, hold on. And he was like authorizing some DHL shipment of some right. parts. Yeah. yeah. Hey, as always, we want to give a shout out 
to Robbie Cribs of Soundtrap Studios. Uh, he's the one who um, put our music together and uh, it allows us to use it every week. So thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie.
with an 8K video on there. What's the compression? H264, 422. It's got a cinema aspect ratio. You can't remove the battery, but like you can get a charge pad and an extra like little, you know, with a cable. Plug it in and like a 401k. This camera sucks. Don't buy it, bro. You want to make calls on your camera like, beep, 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 beep. hello, how stupid would that look? Hello, I'm going to send you a text now. I don't even do texts anymore. I'm on Instagram. At Camerodactyl. You want to set an alarm in the morning to get up and check your camera? Hello, it's 7 o'clock. Ring, ring. You want to use your camera as a calculator? I'm going to develop an app for this camera and get stupid rich. I don't want my mom to put parental controls on my camera. Ring, ring, hello, it's your mom. I'm leaving a voicemail because I'm an old. Honey, are you well? Are you taking care of yourself? Mom, I'm fine. I'm gonna develop an app for my camera and get stupid rich. I got tons of money. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Hello, I'd like to order a pizza on my camera. Yeah, I'll send you a pin. Duh. I mean, yeah, it looks pretty rad, but I don't want all the other bells and whistles around my process. I like to be super deliberate about the photography. So I bet now you're thinking, Chad, should I buy this camera? Nah, bro. I like to keep it 100% analog. So this camera's coming out in 2019. I would say definitely don't buy it. It's not super cool. In fact, it super sucks. But check out cameradactyl.com anyway, just so you can give those punks a thumbs down. Yep, that'll do. Welcome to Chad Does Cameras. This week on the show, we've got the Camerodactyl Bronco Pan. Oh, man. This is my voice. Oh, rad. That's so stupid. My girlfriend doesn't want to see this video. Says I'm embarrassing. Whoa. 3D printers are stupid.